As a boy, you watched as your father worked to make your community better. And what you learned that while many stand by and wait for their community to make things better for them, it takes the people of the community to take action. You learned that lesson, and oh, how you have applied that lesson. You're listening to 2233, a podcast of exchange stories. That was a time I cried during the program. That was a time I cried so hard. I was super angry with myself. I was super angry with my government. I was super angry with people around me. I was super angry with our policy. I was super angry with everything about myself. You know, I felt really bad because, you know, I saw things working. I saw that we had all the resources we needed. We had all the great people. So I was angry that we had all the capacity to make our community better, to make our country better. And that does not mean that my leader haven't come to the U.S. or haven't traveled to anywhere. They have, but why have they refused to do what they can do to bring a change? So that really, that really pricked me a lot. And then when I went back to Nigeria, I wrote an article, which is more like an abridged article of uh, Martin Luther King. <laughs> and I titled it, you know, I also titled it, I have a dream that someday, you know, I can contribute to make Nigeria better. And I just take it step by step to narrate um, what I saw and what I think we can do, you know, to make things work. This week, never saying goodbye to one's people, not waiting for someone else to do something and too much of the poor helping the poor. Join us on our journey from Nigeria to the United States and the birth of Project Pink Blue. It's 2233. We report what happens in the United States, warts and all. These exchanges shaped who I am. My name is um, Ron C. C. W. Chidabe. I'm the founder and uh, executive director of Project Pink Blue, based in Nigeria. Uh, Project Pink Blue is a cancer nonprofit, and we're engaged in creating awareness around breast cancer, prostate cancer, colorectal cancer, and other forms of cancer. And we also, you know, do a lot of policy-driven advocacy, you know, engaging our government to see how we can make a difference and provide better access to health care to Nigerians. I live in Abuja, which is the capital of Nigeria. Interestingly, I was part of um, a program, IVLP, that's the International Visitor Leadership Program, of the U.S. State Department known as American Youth, you know, Civic Participation and Leadership. It was, um, it was really an interesting program. It's such a wonderful program that was, that brought about 23 young people, wrong professionals from different countries. We had people from Saudi Arabia, we had people from Curaçao. Uh, that was the first time I heard that's a country known as Curaçao. <laughs> Interestingly, I was born in 
a community known as Talata Mafara. And this town, it's a very small town in the northern, northeast of Nigeria. And this is really the region where more population are Muslim, are Islam, you know. But interesting thing about that region or that particular town was that um, we had a secondary school that was primarily only male, only for boys. And another secondary school which was meant for only girls. And the one that was meant for only girls was far away from the city. And so only boys can go to school same day and come back like you have in the U.S. But the boarding school is for only girls. So it means that girls can go to school, but they can come back. So many families were to choose either to just have the girls go to school and not coming back home to support the family. And that was something that was, that was really a huge challenge living in that community. But... I'm really humbled and very proud of my father who took up that challenge and made a difference and, you know, engaged the government to really see how that school was transformed from just being only a boys school to boys and girls school. And I would really say that's really um, the origin of my advocacy, the origin of my activism, you know, to, to be part of anything that could make the community better. Because most times, everything about the community, everyone says, oh, it's the community. People are waiting for the community to act. But the truth is, who are the community? It's just someone have to lead it, you know. But, you know, when, when I graduated from the university, I wasn't thinking of health, to be honest. I was really more focused on, you know, graduate and find a good job as a lecturer, professor, you know, do something. But something led to something and I saw the need, especially in the area of seeing women with bandages, begging on the street, looking for money to do their breast cancer surgery and stuff like that. So I wanted to just create awareness instead of just criticizing and saying how bad the leaders are or how bad the government is not doing what it's supposed to do. But I decided to find a way to close this gap. Because if you don't close the gap, the gap will continue to continue to dip deeper. But someone needs to start closing it. And I just thought that maybe this could be something I could do. I was never like wanted to continue doing what I'm doing today. I just wanted to do a community development service on breast cancer and cervical cancer and move up with my life. But something very interesting happened and I wanted to travel out of the country to go for internship in Bogota, that's Colombia. And I got my visa. But the visa I got actually have my name, my date of birth and every detail. But the picture on that visa was actually the picture of someone else, a, Senegal, a Senegalese guy. And I was like, what's this? How can this kind of mistake happen? I was devastated. I was frustrated about not being able to go for that internship. That internship actually changed my life because I was totally disappointed. But I now discovered that it's really shaping me and appointing me to something else, you know. And that's how I reversed back. 
and remained in Nigeria and then started, you know, working on developing Project Pink Blue, working on the initiative and pulling it out to what it is today. You know, where we live should not determine, you know, our access to healthcare. It's really painful to see that, you know, um, vehicle insurance is mandatory, but health insurance is not mandatory. So you just ask yourself, what's our priority? Is our priority to protect the car or to protect the people driving the car? You know, and you see people who live in some rural area and you see some people who also live from urban area and they have the same disease, but the other person survive and the other die of this disease. So this is a huge challenge, but this is one challenge that I really want to see. I really want to see everyone have access to healthcare because it's only healthy people that can secure us. It's only healthy people that can give us better scientific discovery. It's only healthy people that can give us better technology. You know, when people are not healthy, you know, it devastates everything about them. So health is so, so important, but interestingly, we haven't really done so much in terms of placing priority on healthcare. So that's the big challenge that I'm facing head on and I want to continue to face, you know, as long as I'm alive and continue to find collaborations and people who can help me, you know, to put this at the forefront of every human agenda and every, you know, area of sustainable development. I was doing my thing, you know, I was just running Project Pink Blue, engaging people, organizing awareness work, providing free screening, providing training for nurses and doctors because I wanted to see a difference. I just wanted to see how I can support the government to do something better for my people. And I just got a call. I just got a call from, from the U.S. Embassy in Nigeria that, hey, you've been nominated for this program. Would you want to come? Would you want to send us more details about this and that? And I was like, mm, I don't know this number. I don't know who is calling me. Could this be like something, you know? But I was like, well, it's just my passport, data page. I'm not sure. Maybe anything. Okay, well, I was just saying. I received a call again that I have a letter at the embassy. I went and I picked this letter and I saw the letter was sent directly from Washington. That was like, what? Really? This could be real. But I started asking myself, what am I going to do? I wasn't really interested in just going, go take good pictures, go smile to the beautiful buildings and beautiful people, and then you just come back. Before you take on any voyage, you know, you need to really be prepared and ask yourself, what do you want to achieve from this? Before coming on the International Visitor Leadership Program, the picture of, of the U.S. that I have is a picture of a, a country, you know, flowing with honey. Everywhere is beautiful. There are no poor people. There are no poverty anywhere. 
everything is all working, the systems are all good, the leaders are good, there are no sense of criticism, everyone is just happy and stuff like that. But that's, it's not the truth. You know, the truth is that you still see people who are poor, you still see people who are homeless, you still see people who couldn't even afford to pay for their hospital bills, you still see people who are begging. So I was like, you know, the challenges we're facing today is global. When you arrive in Washington, D.C., you see everyone looks very unfriendly. They are all busy, have their coffee cup, and they're all marching. Even when you try to ask someone about, please, I'm, I'm trying to look for this company. Where is it? And like, oh, oh, um, oh uh, you know, people are really busy, you know. But when you go over to places like uh, Philadelphia, it's also a different kind of lifestyle, you know. Go to Austin, it's also different go to Albuquerque, see people more with, you know, lovely tattoos and not wearing top. They are just wearing like short singlets. It's more like summer, but in DC, a few weeks ago, it was really cold. So it's just, you just see different people living in one country and you just ask yourself, well, is this, is this one country or... <laughs> One major thing I really learned was that we all have to collaborate. And I think the International Visitor Fellowship Program is such a fantastic platform to find how we all can find different strategies to learn about these different challenges the world is facing and how we all can address it together. Because every country is unique, you know, by its own context. And solving our own problems, there are different things we can learn from each other. There are things that is being done in Nigeria that Nigeria is doing better than the U.S. There are things the U.S. is doing that the U.S. can learn from Nigeria. So bringing people from different countries to come, share learning, understand challenges, find solutions, meet with real people. Because the exchange program is totally different. Like when you go for conferences and people, professors just sit you down and they tell you everything they wanted to tell you and then you go out. But this is an opportunity where people are not telling you anything. People are allowing you to see things for yourself and then you ask questions. There's a young man, he is actually the president of Kwepu. Kweku is the Pablo Youth Youth Organization in Albuquerque, in Santa Fe region. And this young man, um, his name is Jeremy. And Jeremy is actually the director of the youth program there. And what he was engaged in was that he is, you know, educating so many of the Indian or the people of the Pablo community, you know, helping, educating them, bringing the young people together, telling them, 
you know, that you all have to find different ways to solve your problems because of the poverty level, because of the challenges young people are facing with drug abuse, with all sorts of things. And this young band has been, you know, engaged in doing this work. So the last day we were to leave Santa Fe after having that meeting with him. And I walked up to him and I said, you're such an inspirational young man. You really, really inspired me because for you to bring your own community together and you are here with them, changing their life and stuff like that. I'm really, really excited about what you are doing. And he turned back to me and he said, well, thank you very much. But one thing is that in my own language, there is no goodbye in his own language. And for that reason, he's not going to say goodbye to his community. He's not going to say goodbye to his people. Oh my God. That really, really, you know, struck me. It really, really strike a chord in me. Trying to draw a connection about how his own ethnic group or his own language express themselves and connecting it to his own life. That really struck me. And I also said to myself, wow, I, I'm not sure I'm going to ever say goodbye to my people. I have to continue doing what I'm doing to continue to change, you know, my people and continue to see how things get better. There are so many things that I learned during the International Visitor Leadership Program that I took back home. So many. Like when I was in the World Learning School for International uh, Training, we met with this very fantastic man known as, um, you know, Cy Norton. Cy Norton has this very big book that has all sort of, um, you know, games that you can play while teaching young people. He gave us this book free of charge and that was something very huge that I took back home and shared with my over 700 volunteers and most of these young people who are volunteers are also people who are doing several things around you know civic leadership about governance and democracy and that has been so helpful you know in their own engagement. Other things were like the patient navigation program that I started for the first time in Nigeria, you know, helping cancer patients to navigate the complex healthcare system because it's so difficult to have breast cancer. There are a lot of people you see, you have to see these pathologies, you have to see a surgeon, you have to see oncology. It's not like when you have like cough, you just see in one GP. Yeah, and I took that back home and I went back to the US department again and I said, I learned about this and I want to bring it back to my country. How can you help me? And the embassy in Nigeria was very, very helpful. Through the Fulbright Specialist Program, they brought an American nurse to come to Nigeria to provide training to 34 Nigerian nurses. And that happened the same year. In 2016, April was when I came to US. And by December, the nurse was already in Nigeria. That was really incredible. Uh, other connections that I made during the IVLP program was also having a meeting with some people in Suzanji Komen. And then when I got back to Nigeria, they sent some materials to me and we translated these materials from English to Hausa, Ibo and Yoruba. And these materials have been distributed to over 20,000 people in the country. 
you know. Most recently, we also go back to the U.S. Embassy again to partner to see how we can increase, you know, you know, reduce poor treatment outcome for patients. Because that's very important. Like, you just think about how people have cancer, they are not able to get better care. And it's so painful because they have to suffer to raise the money to, to go for the treatment, but they are not getting the best. But ask yourself a question, why are they not getting the best? Because the doctors may not have the required skills or the required knowledge. But it's not the fault of the doctors because you can't give what you don't have. So we thought about why can't we find a way to collaborate to find people who can help provide a top-up training. And the embassy supported us with the connections that I made. Uh, we were able to bring two American doctors to come to Nigeria to provide training to about 44 Nigerian doctors. Because that's very important to see how whatever you learn here, you still take it, take it back home. That was the first time I actually came to the US. I was really proud of everything, but I would say, if I have to really say the one I'm most proud of is actually being able to have international connections and international network. That's really something that has really made a huge difference for me as a person. Because right now, anytime I'm in the US, I receive an email from Laurie Torienan, the lady that came to train our nurses and she said hey i just saw a facebook post from you that you are in the u.s hope you're coming to dallas to come to my house and i'm like yes 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 i will come she said okay okay that's fine see you soon and she's just very fast you know and so i have family everywhere now you know and sometimes as well you just you know uh, i was in chicago the other time and the colleagues that the two doctors that came to train our doctors were like okay Ronsi, are you coming to chicago i said yeah okay cool we should have a dinner it was just a contact to provide training for our people but it has translated to a huge network to more like a family more like friends that has gone beyond just the, you know the work that you're doing it's something that is very close to my heart because it's amazing to see that happen. You know. While I was here, I already made those connections and I had those business cards, I had all those stuffs. And immediately I got back to Nigeria and then I started sending emails like the guys from the citizen diplomacy group from in Philadelphia. I contacted them because I volunteered there as well. And I also met some politicians, one politician who was contesting for Senate at that time. Well, you know, I also reached out to him. I I reached out to a whole bunch of all the different people that, that I connected them. And I also send most of them, I send their pictures back to them because pictures are something people can use to remember you. Especially like, for instance, the Harold P. Freeman, who I visited in New York. I reached back to him and said, this program you're doing in the United States, helping cancer patients to navigate complex healthcare system, building human connection, providing support and ensuring that people adhere to cancer treatment. I want to start it in Nigeria. How can we make it happen? And then the first question he asked was, do you have the funding to do this? Do you have, you know, structure to put this together? 
Well, I said, well, we don't have the funding, but we can find the funding. And, you know, before you know, we started looking for the funding. We were able to get some funds from, you know, Union for International Cancer Control. We were also able to get funding from, through the Fulbright Specialist Program. We were able to get funding from the embassy and stuff like that. So sometimes, you know, when you have an idea, you know, when you have, sometimes you could have the funding, but you don't have the idea. Once you have the idea and it's a good, it's a good idea, you, you know, the funding will come. And that's how we're able to deal with that project and implemented the first patient navigation in Nigeria. And then I pick, I didn't stop there. I picked the next, the next thing on my bucket list again. And like, what else are we going to do? And I still reach back to the lady who came to Nigeria, who came for the training. I said, Laurie, what do you think about this? And she said, you know what, Ronsi? I'm going to invite you to the United States and I'm going to pay for this. So I came to Nigeria to do Fulbright Specialist Program. Now I'm inviting you to come and do Lori Torenan Fulbright Specialist Program. And she invited me to her facility in Dallas, Sarah Cannon. We walked around, we met a whole bunch of her colleagues. And I stayed with her for like one month, you know, shadowing her, following her to all her programs. Yeah, it was a good learning experience, hands-on learning experience. And when I got back to Nigeria, I started the first patient, the first breast cancer support group in Nigeria. So you see how the whole chain of connections leads from one to B to C, and you just keep doing this because new ideas will continue to come. I really have been inspired more by people than by my work. You know, working in the area of cancer control, working in the area of, um, you know, human rights, working in the area of activism, you know, engaging people, working with people who you don't like, working with people who you think are really not doing what they're supposed to do, it's really frustrating. And also because you have huge economic challenge and, it's more like the poor helping the poor. You know, you just see these women come to you. They need funds to, to do what they could do, but you can't help them because you don't have the fund and because you are also poor. It's really, really frustrating. But people who work in so many companies, in so many organizations, their work inspires them. But my own, my work doesn't inspire me. What really inspires me is other people. Just imagine me, you know, being honored, you know, by the U.S. Department of State, you know, Global Ties inviting me to come and receive this beautiful award. It's really a huge inspiration, not just to me, but other people around me. It shows that the world is watching you. It shows that people are saying, we know, we know you wanted to do more. We want you to continue doing it. Please don't give up. That's a huge motivator. And it's amazing. It's just amazing. My really core message to all my volunteers or something that's really strike me a lot, you know, not just about my volunteers, but about people is that, you know, every human being is so important. 
every human being, no matter who they are, no matter where they come from, whether they are knowledgeable or whether they are illiterate, whether they are educated or not educated, they are very important. They have something to offer. The only challenge is that people do not have opportunity to express that talent. And it's that opportunity that we have to do everything possible to provide to everyone. Because people have this fantastic initiative, fantastic talent in them, but sometimes they die with that because no one provides opportunity for them for that to be discovered. That's one thing that we are doing with our, you know, with our volunteer program, helping young people to find their purpose, helping them, provide them with global opportunity with learning and all the rest of that. And interestingly, many of our volunteers have gotten scholarships in different countries of the world. I have applied for a program and I wasn't selected. My volunteer was selected. Yeah. And that's really, really, it's really, really touched me to just understand that every human, it's really important. People just need opportunity to grow in life. is produced by The Collaboratory, an initiative within the U.S. State Department's Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs, better known as ECA. My name's Christopher Wurst. I'm the director of The Collaboratory. 2233 is named for Title 22, Chapter 33 of the U.S. Code, the statute that created ECA. And our stories come from participants of U.S. government-funded international exchange programs. This week, Runsi Chidibe talked about the origins of his cancer care NGO, Pink Blue, and how that led to his participation on the International Visitor Leadership Program, or IVLP. For more about IVLP and other ECA exchange programs, check out eca.state.gov. We encourage you to subscribe to 2233, and you can do so wherever you find your podcasts. And hey, while you're at it, give us a nice review. We'd love that. And we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at ECA Collaboratory at state.gov. That's E-C-A-C-O-L-L-A-B-O-R-A-T-O-R-Y at state.gov. Photos of each week's interviewee and complete episode transcripts can be found at our webpage at eca.state.gov slash 2233. And now you can follow us on Instagram at 22.33 underscore stories. Special thanks to Runcy for his stories and dedication to his community. I did the interview and edited this episode. Featured music was Tartaruga and Pastel di Nata by Blue Dot Sessions. Filled with Love by Lobo Loco and The Valley and Flutter by Jazar. Music at the top of each episode is Sebastian by How the Night Came and the end credit music is Two Pianos by Tagirlius. Until next time. <laughs>